0: Let's uh, thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for each time we open your word and we'd ask that we would be faithful to it and uh, the thoughts you're trying to put across to the saints over centuries and Lord, we'd we'd ask for your mercies there. We know that Christians have blown it for a long time. Help us understanding how we do In your son's name, amen. Last week we were in early part of Revelation, not as an end time sermon. Yes? Oh, you needed to make an announcement. Please Please do. do. Thank you. For those of you who were listening on SoundCloud, that was an announcement about sledding. You can't come because you're listening to it on the computer. Well, last week uh, we were talking out of the early part of Revelation, and, and pastors often, well, I think one of the reasons churches that are, you might say, Conscious of their attendance start teaching end times is because everybody's always interested in it. Everybody shows up, everybody comes to find out what you think who you think the Antichrist is. And I was really counting on Steve Jobs to be the Antichrist, but he died. No, I, I really if you have a serious view about the Antichrist, I don't mean to make fun of it, but I don't have anybody lined up. But we're in Revelation for a different reason. Because the first couple, three chapters have to do with John writing to seven different churches. A very quick paragraph to each. Making corrections and uh, compliments. And we covered last week the first four churches. And there was something that was going on that I didn't point out that occurs in every one of them I have it here at the top of the right hand side Revelation 2.7, 2.11, 2.17 and 2.29 and it says he who has an ear let him hear what the spirit says to the churches that's repeated in every church seven times for those of you who have read the gospels recognize the phrasing he who has an ear to hear let him hear And I wanted to, because this is repeated all seven times, I wanted to encourage you to think along those lines first before we look at the comments to the churches in particular, the last three. And I have here on the left-hand side both Matthew 13 and Mark 4, which in both cases is the teaching on the parable of the sower, And Matthew 13, 9 is right after the parable of the sower. And he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? He had just said, that he who has ears, let him hear. And he had just said something really confusing. And you can know from the history of Christianity, we we, we stepped into the book of Revelation, and automatically everybody goes, uh... It's not a parable, it's a vision, but you're saying just as, you know, the wackier things you can't imagine. Why does God give visions to his prophets that really don't seem to make any sense, or you've got beasts with five faces or four faces or something like that, and you're running around singing holy, 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 and you say, "Um, what am I supposed to get out of this as a Christian? The parables are the same way. They, people think they're there. Um, I think I've mentioned this before, but in my Bible, let's see, Matthew 13. Matthew 13, parable that we're looking at here, and the footnote says, A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Spiritual truth is unfolded in everyday language and figures. The details of a parable should not be pressed beyond the principal object of the comparison. Each parable has a main point and was spoken to make that point easily apparent. And the disciples are going, What? Why do you speak to them in parables? He says, Verse 11, and he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to him who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance, but from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. With them, indeed, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, You shall indeed hear, but never understand. You shall indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, their ears are heavy of hearing, their eyes they have closed, lest they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, in turn, for me to heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous men long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. That is the context of the phrasing, that he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The Mark passage, which is also written the same as the parable of the sower, he says, and he said to them, Is a lamp wrought in to be put under a bushel, or under a bed, and not on a stand? For there is nothing hid except to be made manifest, nor anything secret except to come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Take heed what you hear. The measure you give will be the measure you get, and still more will be given to you. For to him who has will more be given, and from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is a judgment. The phrase, "That he who has ears to hear, let him hear, Is a judgment tossed into every man. You got ears on the side of your head, me buckos. You have ears. Let them hear. Now, if you don't hear, if you look at the parables of the Christ, if you look at the vision of St. John, and you go, I don't know, man, this is too hard. Is it too hard, loser? Is it too hard? Because this is the judgment. God spoke in, you might say, obtuse ways or vagaries or unclear illustrations so that those that had more would be given. It's the measure you give will be the measure you get. So when we're going through the seven churches in the apocalypse, which is Smarty Pants' way of talking about the book of Revelation, you say the apocalypse. If you, go, if you go through the seven churches of the apocalypse and it says every time that he who has ears let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches we are called to a moment of, of, of real reflection because you can't escape the moment because you will either lose in the moment or gain in the moment but the moment happened which was I didn't listen listen I didn't care. I didn't pay attention. I was talking to someone last week or two who was a little... Uh, had heard about some end timesy stuff. And you know I'm not into end times at all. I have some views, but one of the phrases that caught me was, I'm really not into that. I don't want to get into it. By meaning, I don't want to get into it wasn't the Objection to reading all the books by all the theologians about different views of the end times. God bless you if you don't do that. But this was a matter of not reading the vision. Not being blessed by St. John's writing. Not reading Matthew 24, skipping over it when you came to it, or any of the other prophets of the Old Testament. I don't want to get into that. The judgment happens. This morning, the judgment happens. If, you're listening, if you have ears to hear, let you hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Will you, at the end of this, go, yes, all seven churches. I have listened. I have listened, I have processed, I have pursued, I have looked at myself. Some of these things are complementary to some Christians. Some things are detrimental. But you hearing is the judgment on you the judgment on me and to the angel of the church in sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of god and the seven stars i know your works perhaps you noticed down at the bottom of the sheet memorable verse really big i think that's something around 38 point i know your works it's repeated for every one of these churches, like that he who has ears to hear. You might not want to get into some questions that beset you when you read the scriptures. You might not want to get into that. But our God has gotten into us. I know what you've done. Wasn't there, wasn't there a movie? I know what you did last summer? Is that before some of you were born? I don't know. It was a horror film. Horror thriller. I didn't see it, but the phrase stuck. I know what you did last summer. And some of you are getting a little awkward in the chair. You know what you did last summer too. I know your works. The problem with a theologically driven church, you know, the people start to get serious about Christianity, they start to get theological. That's not always the best thing to have happen to you. Get serious about your God, start thinking about your God, but don't get theological. Understand him, understand what he is about, but theology can sometimes remove the fact that we're talking about a being who knows things. Not your theology is not you knowing about God, but you've got a God who knows about you. It's so easy to have a God that we know about. And we get into arguments with other Christians about what we know, what we don't think we know, and what they don't know. But our God knows about us. And boy, the description here, you have the name of being alive. And you were dead. Man, That's standard. What do you do when you start a new ministry? Um... You name it something, I use the word here in the notes, put the word somehow living in the name of your church. In case people (laughs) think you might not be. Um, And if people think, oh yeah, I don't think you're very real, put the word authentic in your literature. An authentic community of missional believers. Living incarnationally in a Trinitarian robustness. You could put all the right words in because it's really important in Christian ministries to have a name of being alive because really that's what gets the donation dollars. You you say, Evan, you're just saying this because you've got nobody in here. Yeah, okay, all right, I'm guilty. Nobody here, nobody giving, that's not the point. Churches, from the time the apostles were standing around, when apostles are writing you letters, when apostles are kind of Show up, not just a famous Christian from back east, but an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ who was familiar with this church in Sardis. Sardis was essentially the old Persian capital of Asia Minor, major, major, major major city. And the church there had the name of being alive, but was dead. There are a lot of, and it could be any side. It could be a mega church that has the name of alive that is dead. You get get to this mega church, there's 3,000 people in it, and you're looking around and you say, I haven't met a Christian yet. I haven't met someone who walks with Jesus Christ yet. Not that they're bad people. Everything might be calm and hunky dory and everything paid for, the bills paid, and the pastor's not running off with the the worship leader. But uh, they're dead. And that's a concern. Awake and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. These are, this is a, a squishy thing. It's not just complete death. You've got, you got some little bit of your Christianity left if only you would strengthen it because it's on the point of dying too. And in some cases, that residue is the only bit of Christianity left. And if they don't grab a hold of it, that thread, and come back to life and get awakened, he says, for I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep that and repent. That's what you have to wake up and do. You have got to go find... What message did you receive that you passed from death to life because of? You received and you heard. It's uh, reminiscent, what's that passage in John? Same author. I think it was John 1. For all who received him who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. The message, the message of the Christ was something you received, something you heard, something that was preached to you. Keep that. That's the bit of Christianity. (laughs) That's the bit of Christianity that is still barely alive. And that's what's happened in so many churches. You wonder where the gospel got. Where has the gospel gotten to? Some people... In some churches, you don't want it to be this church. It can be. Just because we're small doesn't mean we're healthy. It's not reverse quality. Oh, mega churches are so awful. Well, wouldn't we love to be one? When do we think mega church? We think, ah, maybe a hundred people. Well, mega churches of thousands of people. They're not wrong because they're mega. We're not right because we're small. There could just be just as many sad little examples of this illustration. 20 people in the congregation with the name of being alive when they're dead because they view their condition as a proof of their livingness. The frozen chosen, the the, the last few. We few, we few only, O Lord. But we have to remember what you received and heard. Now, what you received and heard, if you start thinking, there's two ways of thinking of that. One's bad, one's good. One bad is the faith received. When someone says the faith received, what do they mean? They don't mean that which you received and believed and passed from death to life because of, they mean the faith traditionally handed down through the creeds, the confessions, the claims, the the fathers of the church. Whether they were right or wrong, that's not the faith received. Tradition has a way of destroying your faith received. It's another way of getting in the way. That which worked in you, that which you received and heard, keep that and repent. That's what you have to do if you wake up. If you will not awake, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. This is just one shirt. This is not end timesy, you know, the thief in the night passage. This is... An illustration of when Jesus is coming to a church in Sardis and saying because you have the name of being alive but are dead if you don't wake up I'm going to have to do something about it. Now last week I had said and I I kept my notes from last week because some of these choices that we make we make together. (coughs) We make because we're a church. We, We make because We're a fellowship that wants to stand before God on the last day with our lampstand intact, not taken away. So as a church, we need to develop a a temperament, a, a, a personality that watches out for these things together. But there's also, as I said last week, there's the personal hearing. When the church you're in does not hear... When you're in one of these churches that doesn't wake up that it has the name of being alive and it even has it in the name and everybody's all excited and the pastor's in a Hawaiian shirt with a head mic and everything is just, just really, really saying this is alive. They have a PowerPoint presentation. You all know the drill. You've seen it. You've been there. And it doesn't wake up. And there's nothing you can do. You still have to make a choice. It's still your ears. If you have ears, let it hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Look what it says in verse 4. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Just because a church has gone stinko in some sort of churchy way, because this is a real churchy way of going, you know, to rot. This is not, their occult. This is not, uh, the pastor is a wicked man. This is, this is just a pretense of Christianity. And you may find that it's the only church in the town you end up in. Because this is a college place, and a lot of you move on in life. Or just America, I think people move on every five years or so. I hope you stick it out around here. But if you go on to a different place, or move, go to a different church here in town... We're facing it all the time in decent churches. And because it's decent enough, don't think God doesn't find fault. If it's got a name of living and isn't living, you can still be the person who has not soiled themselves. They have a promise that's individual to them. They shall walk with him in white, they are worthy. You're not necessarily kicked down a flight of stairs with everybody else. You can stand if you have no power to make a change. You don't have the pulpit, you don't have any standing, you got some kind of circumstance that keeps you from being so involved that you can make the changes that need to be made. It's hard enough to make changes when you do have power, right? So someone sitting in the pews might not have it, but they can be worthy. But you have to listen. He who conquers shall be clad thus in white garments, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's an interesting little phrase. I'm not going to dwell on it, but... Names blotted out from the book of life. You are always wondering about how you get your name written in the book of life. And here he's talking about erasing. Verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. And I want to thank God for Philadelphia. Ever, Ever get that? Read the Old Testament. Ever read the Old Testament? Through Samuel King's Chronicles. And you're just reading through. It's like a Russian novel. You know, it's just not really positive. Everybody is turning away. And then you get find someone like David, and then he commits adultery. And that's the guy killed. And then you go through the kings, and it's like, oh, man. I had students one time go through all the kings of just Judah and Israel and do a consumer report grading system. They had the black dot, the white dot with the black center, you know how do you rate the kingdom? And then you look at it and you go, "There's like three that are decent," and this is the nation that God has made elect. Most of these churches in Revelation, I think, there's what the other one is. Uh, where are we? Try the Bible here. Smyrna that was it (laughs) Philadelphia and Smyrna two out of seven the others weren't horrifically bad some of them were but you're so thankful to run across and, and listen to this church the words of the holy one, the true one who has the key of David, who opens and no one shall shut, who shuts and no one opens, I know your works there it is again Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. doesn't matter whether you have a name of living, have a name of growth, have a name of happening, have a name of everything else. You can can build an institution that has a lot of power and has nothing to offer Jesus Christ or the world. And you can have little power and keep the word. Little power and stand with Christ. And when God, who watches, I know your works, he looks at what you do. That's what's called the judgment, right? Because God keeps track. It's not the church ain't keeping track of what you did. Maybe some churches do. Or this church doesn't. We don't have enough organization. God keeps track of what you did. And sometimes... Every, because disillusionment can come upon you you'll, you'll, first you'll at some point you'll lift up your eyes and you'll look at the world and you go why doesn't God destroy it right now this is absolutely wicked and so you retreat into the church and you start hanging out with Christians and then finally your eyes open up and you look around and you say why does God not destroy the church right now this is absolutely wicked and you begin to wonder and you can get kind of, you know, Russian about things, but then you realize no, there really are believers. They're not only in in good churches that did the right thing, but in bad churches where individuals, some who have not soiled their garments, find those people, be those people, be that church that keeps his word, regardless of the power of the church, regardless of the reputation. Little power, but we've kept and not denied. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial which is coming on the whole world. Sometimes we start to rewrite the scriptures so that it, it starts, oh yeah, real serious Christians, are the ones that get persecuted. These are real serious Christians and God's going, okay, I'm going to spare you the persecution. You're that good A lot of people in marginal belief systems will die for their faith. But this kind of patient endurance that you kept his word and not denied his name and patiently endured in that. Now this is not a promise to you. This is to an actual church in Asia Minor called Philadelphia where these people actually did this and the moment was coming An hour of trial is coming on the whole world. He's going to spare them that. Philadelphia's not going to face it. The other churches probably will face it. They were going to get hit by the persecutions. That's not a promise that we're going to go carry down to the local bank where Christians check things out from God and say, God promised that any church that did this was going to be spared. No, he spared Philadelphia. But you know this about your God, that he's willing to spare you. And what does he like? I know your works. <clears throat> what is God like? What does God smile on? What pleases him? It certainly doesn't please him to have the word authentic in your name. It pleases him if you are authentic. I am coming soon. Hold fast to what you have, so that no one may seize your crown. He who conquers, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, and the new Jerusalem that comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now we could be spending an awful lot of time in charts and graphs, and, and various things. What is the key of David? What is the seven spirits and the seven stars? We could get occupied in all the minutia of the passage. What does conquering mean? What is the name of God, the city of his God? What is the new name? This is Christ speaking in this portion of the vision. My own new name. Ooh, what's the new name of Jesus. let's listen to what the spirit says to the churches first We've got to prove ourselves here before we go back in and study the word in a more depth fashion that which is sitting on the surface for the believer who has ears to hear to go you mean a church can look like it's alive because it claims so in such a strong advertising fashion that it is alive and it's not (coughs) what should be preeminent the message received and believed from the beginning that which changed you Repent your way back to that. Repent your way back to that. There can be a church without power, without strength, but God really favor them. And the angel of the church, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write. Now you might be familiar with this one, because there is a theology called dispensationalism which C.I. Schofield wrote the famous book, booklet, um, uh, rightly dividing the word of truth in which he developed a theological system that divided the Bible up into ages. Okay. Now, I don't know if some of you are dispensationalists because we do not have a creed here that you have to sign. But you may be. One of the things in dispensational uh, imagery was that these seven churches represented seven church ages. Now, frankly, it doesn't say that in the Bible. It just says there are seven churches, and John knows about them. He's writing to them from off the coast where they were. and He was on Patmos just off the coast of these cities, and he's writing a letter, this vision to these seven churches. But if you have that view, this is what happens. We never get to pick um, Sardis as the church age we're in. Everybody wants to pick the last one. So, you may have heard many messages about Laodicea, because there's a lot of pastors who believe that we're in the Laodicean age of the church. You know, the end times. I don't think that, but you might be familiar with it. The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. Oh, there it is again. You are neither hot, cold, nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. For you say, I, have, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not knowing you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You've heard that. Neither hot nor cold, and everybody pastors can really go to town on that because every one of these, there are examples in the current age of believing churches that are guilty of these various things. Everybody feels a little bit, yeah, we got the name of being alive, we got all the, you know, the cool programs happening, but nothing, nothing feels like it's real. Nothing feels like it's Christianity lived at the at, at the at the level of the spirit. So we're all suspicious of ourselves somewhat, neither hot nor cold. It doesn't say that cold is bad and hot is good. Maybe both hot and cold are good. It's the lukewarm that is bad, but what is that lukewarmness? The lukewarmness is much like what we looked at in the uh, parable in chapter 13 a passage of Matthew that I I quoted to have ears to hear it's the parable of the sower and he tells them that uh, the seed that was sown among thorns is he who hears the word but the cares of the world and the delight in riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful we know that once a church Gets rich. I'm talking financially. Once the church gets rich. Or a people become rich. You do know it says in Ecclesiastes. Money answers everything. It makes it comfortable. Makes your clothes silky and warm. Like spit. Because that's what the Lord wants to do with this. You know, It's not, not good for tea. And it's not good for... Ice tea. does not be good for either. It's just that warm, tepid quality. Because what we purchase with money and wealth, we have, we are rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Because what do we do with every decision we make in this world we go get a job? we go make a paycheck, we design a backyard, we put a pot tub in it and a gazebo. And we want to have the money to spend to do the right thing to go to Disneyland. God help us. Because we're buying our state of ease. And our state of ease is not because the Lord Jesus Christ has put your mind where it belongs in him that you understand the world regardless of whether it is awful or good. You understand it. So you're in a state of peace with God. We have bought our state of ease and it just makes us warm as spit. That's what happens when you're rich and you're prospering and you need nothing, not knowing that you're wretched and pitiable. That's, that's how people view, or how God views us. Remember, I know your works. He said that at the beginning, I know your works. I'm looking at you going, what, a bunch of wretches? Comfortably purchased at Walmart because that's where we can afford to go. Some of us could go to Costco. You ever see those uh, uh, sectional lawn furniture? Feel like you're buying part of the Ottoman Empire? You know, it's a, it's a, like a big U of couch and that bunch of stuffed things and you put it in your backyard and you lie out there in the sun like a complete waste of humanity. Because you're wealthy and you can spend the time lying about like that. No, I have nothing against wealth. I hope you become wealthy in your life. But remember, when you start to think that that richness and that wisdom of, you might say, capital the problem solving ability of money and it does solve problem if it becomes your state of grace you don't know you're poor, blind and naked even though all your clothes are LL Bean and they feel so good even though you've managed to purchase all the comfort so you're so rich. Verse, I think there's almost kind of an insult in verse 18. Therefore I counsel you to buy from me. You got so much money. I told the other churches, yeah, why don't you repent? Why don't you remember? Remember where you have fallen from. Remember something. Repent. Go back. A, wake. It was remember for the first, for, for Sardis. It was um, uh, awake. Yeah, awake for Sardis. Remember. He tells Laodicea, Why don't you, got so much money, why don't you buy some of this? Why don't you buy some gold from me, refined by fire, that you may be rich? Because you're not rich. You're poor, blind, and naked. You don't realize that a purchased ease. We sometimes envy those people, those non-believers who manage to make it well off in life and they can buy the vacations every year and they can buy the right kind of beer and the right kind of car and it never breaks down, your transmission never drops out on the highway. We sometimes are tempted to believe that gospel because it seems to work so well. But God is saying... If that's all you've got and you think that state of ease is enough, you've got some more stuff to buy. Buy some of this gold from him that is refined by fire and white garments to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Because you're blind and you're naked and you're poor, why don't you use that cheap money that you have used to buy a fake piece or an inadequate piece to purchase from me the real piece, real clothing, real wealth, real sight. Because until you're really clothed, until you're really rich, until you really see, you're wretched and pitiable. You ever be talking to you? never talking to somebody you know who's a Christian. And you're explaining something to them, and you look at the cloud, or scales go over their eyes, and they. They, like, they just don't get it. They just don't understand. You go, oh man, that's so sad. That's so pitiable. So wretched. They don't see. He says, those whom I love, I reprove and chasten. In all of this, The whole thing of, if you have ears, let him hear, is the judgment. Do you have ears? Are you going to start examining these things? Not just the ones in in the Revelation, but also the ones in Galatians, Colossians, Philippians, other churches, things. Have I listened to what the Spirit has said? Have I not said to myself, I don't want to get into that? Because you have a God who knows your works. And he knows who he loves. Those whom I love, I reprove and chasten. Your experience with this, your handling of this, or your refusal to handle this, is a proof as to whether or not God even likes you. You know, oh, you mean we? I'm counting on God loving everybody. Yes, God loves everyone, but there's a love. For his children that is distinct from his love for the lost he has loved all men the whole world so much as to die for them but just like uh, when he says of John himself the disciple whom Jesus loved there's a gradation that you say I, if, I, if I start to hear the chastening if I start to be moved by this correction to these churches 2000 years ago But I could hear it because I don't want to be the fakey Christian who puts on airs about being alive. I don't want to be the lukewarm Christian who has been sidetracked by the the lights and riches and feels that I'd rather live a Christian life in a wealthy uh, context because that'll work just as well as Christian peace. I don't want to be that. I'm going to have to be refined by fire. I'm going to have to be clothed. By Christ, I'm gonna have to be taught to see like a Christian. And this is what's really interesting, because he loves those whom he chastens. And our zealousness and repentance is is emblematic or teaches us whether we've heard that love of God. And then there's a famous verse, which we have often misquoted or misapplied. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. There's even a painting. Maybe you grew up with it. You know, Christ with a lantern by an ivy covered door knocking on the door. Kind of twilighty. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. And guess what? You just found out this is not evangelism. This passage occurs in the midst of telling Christians to knock this off and do this. And if you want fellowship with your Lord in Christ, you'd better do it. Because he's standing at the door and knocking. He's standing at the door asking to come in because he knows your works. He's viewing churches and he's viewing individuals in those churches. I would assume after 2,000 years, he's really good at this. He's looking at all souls or looking at any church here in town or the Church of Moscow, if you want to think of church of one church in Moscow, and assessing what the state of the church is. And he's assessing what the state of each of us individually, especially the pastors, because they're the, they're the real problem. And he's saying, "I'm standing at the door knocking. If you will open, if you hear my voice, if you will open the door, you will have fellowship with me." You ever talk to a non-believer and they just don't get it or don't want it? And you're almost tempted to use this verse, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And you go, how can they resist it? And you say, oh yeah, I know, because I've been doing that myself. We as Christians have refused to listen to our Christ, standing at the door, offering us Christianity as it ought and can be lived, and we would rather live it in ministries that that build the name up of living, ministries that are just wealthy. Whereas the the one church, Philadelphia, that was poor and no power, (laughs) they're doing great. They're doing great. We have a chance here at All Souls, because we're poor. That doesn't mean we're doing great. We have to have listened to this. We have to have, each one of us, decided whether or not, if the church is lousy, if All Souls is a really awful church, that you're the one Christian who either leaves because of righteousness or stands for God and righteousness in this situation. He who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And that's the end of the message to the churches. He stepped into the rest of the vision from that point. I would say he recommends we listen to it because I think this book was written to more than the seven churches for the benefit of more than the seven. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we're very grateful for your watching over your churches, not putting up with our nonsense, removing our lampstands, correcting us, disciplining us, chastening us, calling us to repentance. We'd ask, Lord, that each one of us here would decide to be one of those not soiled. Lord, we'd ask that this body, as it gathers together, would live to the praise of your glory and your sons accurately as you have asked us to the power you have given us in your Holy Spirit, the life you have given us. We'd ask, Lord, that we would not rest and take our ease. Thank you. In your Son's name, amen.